It's kind of like a cheat code, right? Like, like if you know, if you know where in Super Mario Brothers to go in the wrong place, you end up jumping three levels, right? It's exactly there, there are cheat codes in the world, and you got to know where where to find them. Are you ready to make your law firm a profit generating machine that will free up your time and skyrocket your impact? With more than two decades of business growth experience and having proven that you can be successful while prioritizing your family and your impact, introducing the Profit with Law podcast. I am your host, the creator of the firm differentiator 10x effect, Moshe Amsel. Well, hello and welcome to another amazing guest interview here on the Profit with Law podcast. I'm your host, Moshe Amsel. And it's interesting because I always say amazing guest interview when I start, but we didn't actually do the interview yet. So how do I know it's going to be amazing? Because I have an amazing guest today. Uh, And this person is somebody that I fairly recently connected with. And um, she uh, was a keynote speaker at our our Law Firm Growth Summit that we just completed. Um, And I'm just in awe and inspired by what she's doing in her firm. And I know there's a lot of people out there who are achieving levels of success and and maybe you're maybe you're as much of a rock star as she is um but she's out there um publicly sharing what she's doing and i think that that's really important that um people are afraid that they're flaunting themselves and things like that but the reality is is you're not like you're inspiring other people to do things that they might be afraid to do um and i really think that's important in today's day and age that there's so many people who are just afraid of taking the next step or they're afraid of putting themselves out there and being able to see somebody else who can perhaps be a role model for you, um, a source of inspiration uh, is really important. And I try to do that, but there's, you know, there's only so much that I can do. Um, you know, you're not going to look at me as as a, a mom raising kids, even though I'm a dad raising kids, right? You're not going to look at me as a successful law firm owner because I don't have a law firm. So um, there's, there's cer- certain things that I cannot bring to the table that other people do. And I, I really like what, uh, what she's doing. So my guest today is Jennifer Gore Cuthbert and Jennifer, um, is the owner of Atlanta personal injury law group. And, um, one of the things that she's accomplished this year is made it to the Inc 5,000, um, one of only 10 women owned businesses to hit the Inc 5,000, uh, this year, which is incredible is, is just an amazing accomplishment. Um, and. And uh, definitely wish her to be able to hit the list again next year. Um, but let me give you the official bio for her. And uh, and then we'll jump into our conversation. I'll bring her on and, and we'll have a great discussion. And I think that you'll have a lot of uh, value from whatever we we talk about, because I, I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm sure it's going to be good. Jennifer Gore Cuthbert is the founding attorney and owner of Atlanta Personal Injury Law Group. Gore, a personal injury firm based in Roswell, Georgia, uh, Atlanta Personal Injury Law Group Gore represents victims of vehicle collisions, drunk driving collisions, those injured in a slip and fall and wrongful death cases. Jennifer is committed to building a close working relationship with her clients to provide quality, compassionate, and efficient legal representation. Jennifer's goals of becoming an attorney and opening her own practice were shaped by her own personal injury experiences. In college, she was seriously hurt in a car accident after going through the arduous recovery process and having to navigate her own legal case. Jennifer decided that she wanted to dedicate her professional life to helping other victims get 
back on track. If you're interested in learning more about our elite lawyer program, it all starts with an absolutely free coaching session. So you can book a free coaching session with my coaching staff um, where they will spend um, the time with you to help you understand and uh, and overcome the things that might be getting in your way of achieving your success. Uh, you'll leave that coaching session invigorated and inspired to be able to continue moving in the right direction. Now, in full disclosure, at the end of that coaching session, they're going to potentially offer you the opportunity to join our elite lawyer coaching program. That is the only way that you can get into that. Um, so if that's something that interests you. If you would like some help along the way, uh, then go to profitwithlaw.com forward slash free coaching, profitwithlaw.com forward slash free coaching takes you right to a calendar booking link. You got to answer some questions on a form there, grab a spot on the calendar, and there's absolutely no commitment. You just have that coaching session, see how you feel, and then decide whether you want to continue the ride with us. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Hello and welcome. Uh, welcome. Thank you for having me. Welcome to everyone who's listening. Um, yes, it's been amazing just getting to know you and all the stuff you're doing for people, including lawyers all around the country. Um, your event was amazing. So thanks for having me on here. Yeah, it's it's my pleasure. And uh, we kind of did things backwards because usually I get people on the podcast to first learn more about them. But um, I really was inspired by what you were what you were doing that I said, you know what, we we just need to we need to start and and just jump right in. Um, and we had a conversation and and confirmed my, uh, you know, my thoughts and 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 jumped right into you keynoting at the at the Law Firm Growth Summit. So we're doing now what, what, what what's long overdue, which is getting you on the podcast. Um, and and this is a, a, a more um, relaxed environment to be able to dive into your story and 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 um, and things that you've learned along the way that will be really helpful for for our audience to hear. So what I like to do when we start with a with a guest is there are people out there who have no idea who you are. Um, let's just make it easy for you. Tell us a little bit about your story, your background and how you got to doing what you're doing and what brings you to to where you are today. Um, yeah. So one thing we have in common, um, when you called me, you called me from an eight, four, five number, which is where I'm originally from in New York. And I was like, this is so strange. Someone's calling me from New York. And that's why I answered the call. And, um, so we do have that in common. I think we grew up maybe about like an hour and a half apart. Right. Um, uh, where, where were you? I'm Poughkeepsie. Yeah. So not even an hour apart. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in Suffern, New York. So Rockland County. Um, I think our high schools like competed in track against each other, but um, Suffern in Arlington, but yeah. So um, I'm originally from New York and um, you know, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family and I went to business school um, actually in the Hudson Valley and um, through a series of unfortunate events, I got entangled in a couple of different legal situations, including my own kind of serious car accident. Um, and I had my identity stolen by my employer. And, oh, that's um, awful. Yeah. And I was involved in a like serious lawsuit where um, I had to go through like a round of, you know, I basically had to pay an attorney to defend me in this identity theft case, um, which was very terrifying at the time because, you know, everybody gives their social security card to their employer. No one ever thinks they're going to use that to open credit cards and all kinds of things in their name. Talk, talk about what not to do in leadership, right? Like, <laughs> mm. yeah. 
but um you know things things were pretty rough like when I was between 18 and 21 like um my boyfriend that I was dating from when I was 16 to 19, he died in a motorcycle accident. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of people see my life now and they think, Oh my gosh, you have such an amazing life. But most people that have like an amazing life have a foundation of like sheer challenge that they went through and you really make a decision. Am I going to like implode or like grow? Right. And I think when you're very young, for me, it was such a gift to go through all those things because it made me become very serious at a very young age. Um, I kind of had to. And so I always used to think like, if I can just live in my twenties, how people won't live, I will be able to live completely differently in my thirties and forties. Like you can take the foundation of like your twenties and just go all in and just be serious and get things done. Um, it's a pivotal time that really sets up the rest of your life. Um, so yeah, my life was pretty like rocky, like I would say like 17 to 21 and then I got serious. <laughs> yeah, it's and- very interesting that you share that. And I, I, I'm in, I normally don't interrupt your story, but, um, I just want to inject in here because it's very much related to why I do what I do today. When I went through my divorce, which was a, I, I can't compare it to your boyfriend dying on a motorcycle, but I mean, it is, well, the um, at, is at, the, at the upper level of emotional trauma uh, to go through. And anybody who that has gone through a divorce knows what I'm talking about. And anybody who hasn't has no idea what I'm talking about. But um, it is, I mean, it made me reevaluate everything in my life. I mean, my religious conviction, what my purpose is and all of that. And it was during that time that I realized I had, I was in a, an, a career in IT at the time. Um, and I actually became a paramedic during that time, left IT for a brief period and worked full time as a paramedic. And, you know, as I was like finding myself searching for meaning and all of that. But while I was sitting and working as a paramedic and I was sitting in the medic station waiting for a call and like, what do people do in that downtime? They're sitting there binging on movies and whatever it is, you know, like completely wasting their time. And I and I'm thinking, like, what is my what is my purpose? Like, why am I here? Um, and that's when I, it really occurred to me and I, and, and I realized that this is really what I want to do, um, is my grandfather, uh, basically helped every one of his grandchildren get started on on firm financial footing by giving us a down payment, uh, for our first home purchase. And the the story of how he was able to do that, I cover in many other podcast episodes. I don't want to take our time, um, to cover it here. Um, but basically having received that gift. Uh, really inspired me to help others to create generational wealth, not just wealth for yourself and to be able to live your best life, but to be able to leave a legacy that you can help your children, your grandchildren, your great grandchildren to start off differently. It doesn't like it's, it's not like, oh, I need to leave them a trust fund that's going to make them brats for the rest of their life. It's, it's, I need, I want to leave something that is going to help them to overcome some of the early challenges so that they can face the the later challenges quicker, right? Um, And that's really my inspiration. How I got started with lawyers is a whole nother story, but that's really what started me going down. I went back to to school to get educated, to become an accountant. um, And I got my, my, my bachelor's and then my MBA all while I was working, while I had kids and I went through a divorce, then went through a re, you know, uh, getting married again and, and starting another family, um, or 
more family. What I don't know how you, what's the right terminology have you, for that. Have you shared that a lot in your podcast about your divorce? About what? About the divorce. Have you the, shared? I haven't gone into into a ton of detail about the divorce on the podcast. No, but um, yeah, I'm ha- definitely open to. I've heard you mention it before, but like in passing. And I think um, it's funny. We all kind of resist the struggles of our lives. And like sometimes those struggles are like the thing that we have to go through to go to the next level. And um, so many of us are, you know, resistant to share some of the struggles, you know, that, but I think as I've become like more in the limelight, I'm like trying to tell people like everything is not all just glamour, right? It's like, there is a bedrock of, of hell that that person may have gone through to get to where they are. And like your mess is your message, right? So um, whatever you're struggling with, whoever is listening, like there is some power in there. If you can step into it and just don't believe that everyone has like this perfect life, right? Everyone is going through stuff and deciding, you know, how they're going to turn that into, you know, their, their power, you know? So that's like one theme. I think this is like this idea of like perfectionism that just, it doesn't exist. You know, we, I'm striving for perfection, but I, I know it's all about the journey. It's not the destination. And what is really exciting about being an entrepreneur and a lawyer is like, you get to become like the most expressed version of yourself. If you're vulnerable enough to continue to try to like step into it, you know, like the journey of being an entrepreneur really requires that. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And, and, and it really, like, it, it really depends on where you are in the journey to how much you can relate to that. Like when you're in the early stages, it's very hard to, to even think about or understand um, what, Jennifer's talking about, but the reality is, is that the more you get in tune with your story, the more you get in tune with who you are and what differentiates you from others, the more you can become relatable to your clients, the the better it will help you grow. Um, And it's very true. Like my story doesn't stop with the divorce because then my ex-wife became an alcoholic and then the, you know, the kids were going through a major trauma and I had to go through, um, first of all, figuring out that that was happening, which Thank goodness for my wife, who is a probation officer and works with DWI um, um, offenders all the time, because she was able to to recognize that there was an issue. Um, and I was resistant to it, you know, like she 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 was, you know, she told me there's something wrong. And, you know, I I just no, no, she's no way that's happening. She's perfect. And, you know, um, <laughs> But then, but then we got a call from, from CPS, somebody had reported that, you know, that she had been intoxicated at my daughter's graduation. Um, and, uh, and she was driving the kids home and that was like the, you know, the wake up call for me, like, um, and then later we, you know, when talking with the kids about it, we found out that the, that ride home was one of the scariest moments of their life because she was all over the place. She was going off the road and, um, and it wasn't a long trip from school to her house, but, um, you know, I can only imagine, uh, the sheer terror and then like the stuff, like, you know, she was out until three, four in the morning, leaving them home alone by themselves is when they were like little, six. yeah seven six seven and and nine or you know like like really young kids and then you know what there's one time one story that stuck out that like i share all the time is you know the kids um said that they called her 
like it was three o'clock in the morning and they're like, where is she? Where, you know, and they, then, and they were instructed very strictly strict instructions not to call me. Right. So they called her and the phone was answered by a taxi cab driver. And he basically said, I don't know where your mother is. She left her phone in the car, you know, like, uh, and they had no way of reaching her and here they are all alone with, and they're not allowed to call their father. So like, what are they supposed to do? And it's just. And, you know, if you're digging into all of this, like this, this seems like, you know, a lot of people would not want to share this stuff, but there are people that are facing that situation like you faced and they don't know what the right decision is. Do they leave? Do they stay? You know? And so it's like all up to us who've been through struggles to just be more honest because you wouldn't have the life you have now had you not left her. Right. Oh no. Right. That That's a hundred percent. I mean, there's so much that would be different. I mean, it's just ridiculous um, how crazy that is to think about like every every single decision we make when we look back at it impacted us in some way shape or form um and it's just it's just wild how our journey shapes who we are um our experiences shape who we are it's not like oh we came out of the womb being who we are um and yeah. uh, it's 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 it, it's crazy but it makes you so individual which is why i you know there's no such thing as competition Right. Yeah. There's nobody out there who can do exactly what you do the way you do it and be your brand. And I think that's a really fun exercise trying to really delve into who you are, what you stand for, what you stand against and like trying to cultivate your brand where it's so recognizable, you know, that people, you know, don't even need to introduce you. Right. Um so yeah, my, my journey is just, you know, going through a lot of struggles when I was younger. Then I went to law school. I got very, very serious. I moved far away from where I was from. I moved to Atlanta and I think that was a really cool opportunity to completely reinvent myself. Um, anyone who's like completely left where they're from, it's so much easier to just like create your own new version of yourself. Um, Tony Robbins has this quote. It's like, something, something about the idea of who is Tony Robbins. I built Tony Robbins, like Tony Robbins was built. It was a designed person that was created. And I used that opportunity when I came to Atlanta to just basically reinvent myself and who do I want to become and what do I want to be and what is my brand. And I knew very early, like when I went to law school that I would become a personal injury lawyer. And so I was like campaigning that all through law school. Um, and like, I was crazy. Like I would go to law school, like dressed as a lawyer. I, um, <laughs> I like, you know, I thought like, this is a brand, you know, and right. I switched into the night program so I could work in a law firm during the day. And I worked, you know, all year round, you know, full-time going to school at night. And I became like really active in the school. I got on the board. Um, I became the, the president of the student body, um, and I just like, was like, what would my life look like if I played all in, like all, all in? Cause I think leading up to that, I hadn't really done that. You know, everyone was be like, you're so smart, but like, I hadn't really tested what, what that would look like. And, um, once I did, I just found like 90% of people are not playing all in, <laughs> 
that's the reality in life. Um, yeah. Well, that's why the, <laughs> that's why we we live in a world where, you know, like the top two percent of the U.S. is, you know, is, is earning one hundred thousand dollars or more. And you're like, well, where's the, like what are the rest of the people doing? You know, <laughs> I know. And so that's like one thing I invite. If you leave this earth and you have not played all in in your life, you are missing your to see what your full potential looks like. And I just kind of made that commitment probably like 10 years ago when I went to law school, maybe it was more like 13 years ago. And I just have been on that track for this long. And I started my law from the day I got my license. Um, and I had a two month old at the time. And I just, there was never a, like when people talk about opening a law firm and like, oh, is it going to work? It's just like, my mindset is like, I will die trying. There will never, like, there will be no retreat. You cannot fail if you do not quit. So, like, that just wasn't in my mindset that I would ever close. Um, now, did you start right out of law school? Like, did you you started your law firm right out of law school or you worked for somebody first? So, like I said, I worked for two law firms while I was in law school, during night law school. And I was, you know, doing a lot of different hats in the law firm. So I knew, you know, a lot of, about personal injury at that point. Obviously I wasn't a lawyer, but I was like a paralegal. Um, and I failed the bar the first time I took it. And, um, I was like about two months pregnant when I took the bar and then I had to take the bar again, you know, six months later when I was nine months pregnant. And so I passed it when I was nine months pregnant and I was just like, that's it. I'm opening a firm. Like the day that license came, I just, I already went out and got like, you know, everything in order. And I just started right away because I was just so devastated over failing the bar the first time. And like, I was just ready. You know, when I passed, I was like all in. <laughs> okay. So you, you started your firm and how long ago was that? 2013. Uh, so we're, we're, eight to nine years ago, right? This coming up 2023 will be our 10 year anniversary. Okay. So, so nine to 10 years ago, I don't know what, what day it actually was, but in nine to 10 years, it, you know, your, your firm grew from where, from, from nothing to where you are today. So um, looking back on your journey, I want to, I want to, I want you to, to start to, to try to remember and think about the early, early, early days, right? Um there were struggles that you went through in the early days where today oh. you look back at it and you're like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that I struggled with that. Like, that's such a joke. Like there are things that you did or that you struggled with that now that you know what, you know, if you were able to talk to your earlier version of yourself, you would tell yourself to do, to, to do some things differently. Can you think of a few of those things, what they would be? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I remember just feeling like an imposter when I first started out. I think a lot of professionals, when you're a new professional and you don't have like a lot of street cred, um, a lot of these professions are very like, there's a lot of deference to people who've been in the industry for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And I felt at that time, especially and there's a lot of disdain from those people to the people who are brand new, right? Like, let's, 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 let's be real about it. Like you walk into a room with somebody who's been doing this for 30 years and you tell them that you just started, you know, they're, they they laugh at you. They don't even give you the time of day. 
Yeah, it's a, I'm sure it's like that in your, in financial, you know, accounting and all that, like, it's a very similar professional world. So um, I felt like an imposter. I did a lot of things to make myself like seem larger than I was. Um, that was like my fake it till you like make it, fake it till you make it scenario. That was like mm-hmm. the first two years. I would just like whatever I could do to assume like a bigger position than I was. Um, and there was a lot of like just feeling like a fraud. Like I always felt I was resourceful. Like I can figure anything out if you give me enough time. I can either hire someone or I can figure it out. But like, you know, there are things that in the beginning you're just figuring it out and it feels like trial by error. And it feels embarrassing because you went to all this school, but yet you don't know how to do like the basic things of running the business is they don't teach you that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, um, I'll never forget. There was one vendor that like basically like mocked me and said like, what, you're never going to be anything big. And I, <laughs> who does that? Yeah. Because I mean, I was just this young woman, you know, no street cred, no results. And one thing I have realized is over the years is like, I've pretty much been doing the same thing in terms of like, I've always been curious. I always like want to just figure things out. But when you have results, it's like people treat you so differently. I always am like, I'm the same person I was 10 years ago in a lot of ways. It's just once you have results, people somehow like respect you, you know, which is like just the cold, hard reality of the power of results. Right. But, um, you know, I was always ambitious. I always had a big dream. I always had a big vision. I remember just, it was so painful for me to walk into my law firm and it was like a two room office. And I would just be like, this is not my scene. Like I can't, where is the other 30 people that are supposed to be working here? (laughs) Like I am living in my vision of what this is going to be. And every day I have to be hit with the reality that it's me and one person. (laughs) It was just like, when did you hire that first person? Well, I started out with an intern. Um, My law school assigned me an intern over the summer. And I was like, do you want to work for me? And she was like, yeah. And once I had the taste of having someone work for me, I was like, oh my gosh, when her, when her, the summer came up, I was like, I need to hire someone. Like I can't be without help, you know, but I also hired like a virtual answering service. Like I did things to make it appear like I had more staff, like had VAs been a thing, I probably would have had like five VAs (laughs) Um, because I just felt like, okay, I cannot be like answering the receptionist desk. Like that's, that's not a good look. (laughs) Yeah. I I want to, I want to pause for a moment and talk about VAs and talk about the first hire because, um, you know, we, we both work with, with a company called get staffed up and, and you know, they do a lot of work with us, but my, I have staff of my own from them. And we're in a day and age where law firms can, you can start a business. It's not just law firms. You can start any business. You can get literally get business cards printed professionally, a website and a phone number, like you get a zoom phone line all for less than a hundred bucks. So we're in a world where you can start a business for less than a hundred dollars. And yet there is investment that needs to be made in your business. And if you think that, oh, you're just going to use your sweat equity to build it, you're setting yourself up not for failure because you could succeed if you just do what Jennifer did and just never give up. You will succeed. There's no question about it that if you're in this game long enough, 
you will get a name for yourself. You'll get clients. You'll find your way. But but do you want to take 20 years to get to there or do you want to take two years to get there? Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference. And and it's and it's the um, it's the opportunity cost of not achieving success faster. Yes. That you're giving up by by being resistant to it. And my message to anybody who's at that early stage that Jennifer is talking about when she first started that we're comparing to what we're, we're leaning into um, is. You should be you should be treating hiring your first assistant the same that you treat having a phone line and having a website. Yes, yes, like that I is a must-have. I would have done that even faster. And also, like now, anybody now, like this is the greatest time to be starting a law firm. You know, from like so many points of view of of how much easier it is in a sense because like people don't expect you to have an office now right? Like the virtual yeah. thing is very embraced. I remember like having to go get an office because people kept saying to me, um, I just want to swing by your office and drop off some documents. And I felt like if I didn't have an office, like I wasn't a real lover. Right. <laughs> I feel like that barrier is very much gone now. I mean, yeah. I mean, even if you still felt you needed that, you, st you now have co-working spaces, you can have a Regis or whatever yes. where you, you know, I mean, that creates all kinds of marketing issues with Google and Google My Business. But um, but you could you could have, you know, like you can get into an office inexpensively without a major expensive lease. Um, but but really, like the the place that there's two places that I think that um, new firm owners or or firm owners who have been at it for a while, but have are, are not feeling the growth. There's two places that you need to invest that you have to go out on a limb and do that you're just not doing because you're resistant to it or you're afraid of not getting results. And that's investing in your marketing and investing in people. Like you have to bring on your first assistant. You got to start delegating. You got to start getting some of the basic stuff off your plate. And by the way, go to profitwithlaw.com forward slash get staffed up and you can get a $750 discount off of your first hire. And it's less than $2,000 a month for a full-time employee. Yes, they're offshore. Yes, English is their second language, but you can find a really, really talented person, really good English. You know, they speak English well, they write well, um, and they're available during your business hours. You don't have to worry about tax overhead. You don't have to worry about all of that. It's literally less than $2,000 a month to have a full-time person. They're not going to replace, ultimately, when you need to have people in the office, they're not going to replace that, right? Like you need, there are certain staff members that you need to have in office or virtually like stateside there, you know, if it's attorneys or paralegals, or eight, there are some people that you're just not, you're not going to fill that role from there. But even there, like if, if, if you're further on in your journey and you have multiple people working for you, think about hiring a virtual assistant for each of your full-timers. Yeah. Think about how you can make somebody who's costing you 60, 80, a hundred thousand dollars a year, make them twice as productive by adding a $20,000 expense to, to, to give them that rocket fuel. I mean, it's just mind boggling the power that you have in having access to good inexpensive <laughs> labor through this new world and get stuffed up. not the only provider. I just really like their, I like them. I like their model. I, I think they're doing a really good job. Um, and they specifically focus on, on law firms. Um, so I, check them I've out. Known Brett forever. He owns his own law firm, the one who, you know, he founded it and he'd been doing this for a while. He actually, I think got into the, the VA game a lot sooner than some of the other companies that, um, 
I know of. So yeah, I mean, I will say, you know, at the perspective that I have seen, um, there are some roles in a firm that I probably wouldn't hire a VA on just because you will be more freed up. If you get a heavy hitter paralegal to come there who can literally take things off your plate, there's sometimes you, you go for that, that person first, and then you hire the VA, but there are some menial tasks that you shouldn't be wasting your time with. And I know I was wasting my time with a lot of little low end things in the very beginning. Um, but I think the thing when you're first starting out is just to really hang on to your vision of what you want. And it seems so far away, but it's really not. Um, and, you know, the things I really had to change over the last 10 years is I had to get better at hiring and delegating. Um, I see a lot of women that I started law firms same time as them. And they still have two staff members and I have 30, you know, and I just see this like mentality where they don't want to delegate. They don't want to let go of control. And that is a mindset that will keep you very small and not very profitable. Yeah, I want to I want to talk about that for a moment because I want to talk about the present version of you um, because I want to be careful, like our audience is quite expensive and and I don't want to focus only on somebody who's just starting out. Um, But there are people who are listening who have been at this for 15 years or they've been at this for 10 years and or there are people who are at 20 people. They want to get to 30. Um, I'm guessing and you you tell me if I'm wrong. So I'm going to I'm going to throw out a guess and I'm going to say that you probably doubled your staff in the last three years. I doubled my staff probably in the last year. (laughs) Yeah. So what happens is, is that when you start to, when you start to expand, it becomes this accelerated machine where like when you first start, I mean, you're not going to hire 30 people on day one. No. Right. To me, it's like the first seven figures is the hardest to get to. My dad used to always tell me that the first million is the hardest. First million is the hardest. You just don't have as much traction and leverage. You know, this is why they have that saying like the rich get richer, right? Mm -hmm. It's like once you get to a certain point, the firm kind of has its own momentum. Right. Yeah. And that's very true. So, so let, let's talk about that, right? Like let's talk about what it takes to get to your first million. And then what does it take to get beyond that? Right? Like, because that's where the, the, the superchargers, you know, the super boosters get attached. Right. Um, so on the journey to the first million, like there's, there's, a, there's, I think there's two real problems that uh, a, a law firm owner needs to overcome. I mean, you talked about getting, you know, the imposter syndrome, you need to get comfortable with your own power and, and your own ability to do things. And you also talked about holding on to things, not being willing to delegate. Um, those are, those are the internal challenges that are going to prevent you from doing the things you need to do externally. You need to get really good at marketing and sales, right? You need to bring clients in and you need to get really good at building the team that's going to deliver so that it's not on you to deliver. So in that journey to a million, what should the firm owner be spending the bulk of their time on? Because that's the problem, right? They're spending their time in the wrong places. They're doing the wrong thing. So if you look at your journey and you say, well, getting to your first million, the most important task you can do as a business owner is. So the reality of the answer is it changes at different stages. Mm -hmm. People don't want to hear that. They want, it's just like, they want a one, 
fit answer. Right. When you're first starting out, all I did was hustle. I mean, my whole. What does that mean? What does I mean, hustle mean? Getting my name out, banging on doors, networking, getting cases. I mean, if you don't have any cases, what can you do? I mean, you right. can't. So how? So how did you get your first cases? Walk me through that. Um. Like I said, I'm a big networker and I'm a big connector. And all through law school, I was telling people I'm going to be a personal injury lawyer. I was working at a personal injury law firm. I was branding myself. So when I opened my law firm, I created a newsletter. I started a Facebook page. I was marketing and I was telling my classmates, like, I'm doing personal injury. Send me cases. And my first case came from a referral from a colleague. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, I was... I hate to say the word like lucky because I do believe you make your own luck. I mm -hmm. think my mentality is you just keep showing up. If you're like, I don't know if people notice this about me, but I show up everywhere. Like mm -hmm. I'm there to show up wherever I think that I, there's an opportunity for me to show up because in showing up, ultimately you get opportunities and doors open for you. And there are trap doors in the universe that can take you 10 X if you see them, you know, it's kind of like a cheat code, right? Like, like if you know, if you know where in Super Mario Brothers to go in the wrong place, you end up jumping three levels, right? It's exactly there, there are cheat codes in the world and you got to know where, where to find them. And you have to have the stamina to like keep showing up and be relentless like that. Because I think people are like, oh, I did a little marketing. No, like you have to be like the last man standing. Like in that phase, it's hustle, hustle, get your name out there. Be willing to do what people that are at my level often are uncomfortable doing. Like there's things I don't do now that I used to do, partly because some of it is unscalable. Um, at, at certain phases, you realize what you do at one level, it's, it's never going to get you to the next level. <laughs> but, um, you know, in the beginning, you know, you're nimble, you have so much going for you, you can pivot on a dime. I mean, I used to go to people's offices and sign people up, like if a referral sent me someone and they're like, yeah, they're here right now, I'll be there in 20 minutes. I mean, I was concierge level showing up. Um, and who's not going to want to work with someone like that? Like none of the bigger firms are going to do that, you know? Right. Um, what, where I ran into issues over time is like, that is not a scalable model, right? Once you start hiring staff and other attorneys and, you know, everything that takes you to one level is often the thing that keeps you stuck at that level. And so I started seeing the writing on the wall of like, systems you know at some point you're hiring people you have to build systems you have to create automations you have to find ways of getting other people to do what you're doing on a high level way repetitively and so a lot of the focus after you get beyond that hustle level is you know hiring systems and like creating your model of how this business runs because when you're doing it it's easy to execute because it's your thing now you got to get other people to do your thing. Um, and then that is a whole tyranny of lessons learned and, and mistakes and failures of not making systems that really work and having to hit walls. And, you know, that level was brutal. And I hired a lot of business coaches um, during that level. I think that's one thing that fast tracked me. I know you, you know, uh, totally agree that people should get coaches. 
I stand on the shoulders of hundreds of people truly that have helped me that I've paid cash to help me, you know, and I probably took home a lot less money initially. And probably I take home less money now than I could because I'm willing to pay coaches, high level coaches to buy my future growth. Yeah. I think that's really, really important to, to hone in on. Um, not, not so much that, you know, how many coaches you've invested in and all of that, but the idea of recognizing that there are professionals out there who have either walked your journey or have helped other people walk your journey before you. And when you do that, you know, I, I, I love this line. I actually used it in my talk at the summit. You know, my, when I was growing up, my mother used to tell me all the time, cause I got in trouble a lot. And she would tell me, you know, some people learn with their ears and some people learn with their tush. You know, like you either get spanked or you or you listen to instructions because those are the two ways that you're going to learn. And life is like that. Like you can go out there and be a martyr. And this word came up in my previous podcast uh, recording today. So I batch recordings This is our second recording for the day. And I have five of them today. Um, so in my per- previous conversation, the lady who I who I interviewed used this word martyr and I really loved it. It was like she, you know, she was like, you know, you could be you could go out with on martyrism. And and I, I said, wow, I need to use, start using that. Like you can be the martyr for your firm and and feel like you need to do everything yourself and, um, you know, and 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 be the one that's putting your, your skin on the line or you can work with somebody who can help you avoid needing to be the martyr who can allow you to prevent doing those things. So um, it's really, uh, it's really important to, to get clear and understand that there is a way to fast track this process. And it's up to you whether you want to do that or not. And the problem with any investment is seeing the future right. possibility, right? Yeah. Like, it's terrifying. And- it's terrifying when you have to put down the money and you're like not really sure. But oftentimes these programs, you will meet other people. Like for me, I met people that were having a lot of success, which gave me a lot of confidence. I'm like, if they can do it and they're using this coach, I can do it. I mean, I just believed that I could use that resource because I saw other people doing it. So that if you're, if you're struggling, I think going out and seeing other people, what they've been able to do, you know, can give you some confidence. Um, And now I'm like deep, deep, deep into the coaching world. And like, there's a whole variety. You can get coaches on anything. You can get coaches on parenting. I have a parenting coach. You can get a mindset coach. I mean, some people accuse me of being overcoached, but I'm just like, this is my precious life. And I want to get to my full potential. And like, there's only so much time. Yeah. And really recognizing that there's always room for growth and you can always, you can always uplevel your game. Right. And it's not just business, right? It's your life. When I work with our elite coaching clients, and if you want to learn more about that, go to profitwithlaw.com forward slash elite. When I work with our elite coaching clients, the very first thing we do when they sign up with us is I send them a package and that package contains three books. And the first book that I instruct them to read is a book called Living Forward. It's by Michael Hyatt and Daniel Harkavy. And Living Forward is a book that uh, basically walks you through a process of creating your life plan. So it's not like we a lot of people talk about, oh, you need a, a business plan, right? And a business plan is just one piece, right? If you're taking out a pen, do you want me to ship you one? We'll send yeah, you one. I want it living forward. I'm 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 a big um audible junkie. Okay. 
Well, we will gift that to you, Jennifer. So we'll send it to you. Um, so living forward is it, it? It's a really short read, like it's a small read, but it takes time because you have to do the exercises. One of the most powerful exercises in, in the book is they have you write your own eulogy. Oh yes, and, I love that. Love and that. that is, I mean, like when you do that, when you sit down, you're like, <laughs> "What do I want people to say at my funeral?" It really starts you thinking about like, okay, what are the important things? You know, are they going to talk about the size of my firm or are they going to talk about how much I gave to charity or are they going to talk about how amazing, um, you know, my grandchildren are and therefore how good of a parent I must have been, right? Like, what are the things that that are important to you that they're going to that they're going to highlight, you know, at your funeral? One thing that I'm like obsessed with, and I've talked to a lot of people about this, and I think it goes in line with what you're saying is it is possible that our generation is going to be the first like generation where our great, great, great grandchildren will have like historical videos and records of like us. So like, it's possible that somebody is watching this 200 years in the future. And like what we're doing every day is being documented for the future. Like that is something I'm so intrigued by. Yeah, it it it's true. Like we, if we think about like what what were our grandparents or great grand like I know what my grandparents were like. They were a lot. Well, they weren't all alive when I was born. But like I've I've never. I think maybe I might have seen one video with my grandfather <laughs> in it. Like my I one grandfather died before I was born. And there might have been one reel to reel movie that I saw where he was in it, like maybe my parents wedding video or something. Um, but other than that, like I he's just a picture and yeah, the stories about, that were told about him. This and, podcast, think about your great, great, great grandchildren are likely going to be able to find this stuff as long as it's preserved and have a very clear picture on your values, what you stand for, your struggles. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so crazy how the lives we're living now is really going to be like level one of document documentation going forward. Yeah. Uh, it, it, well, it, it almost feels like it's going to be overwhelming to them. Like, what do I, <laughs> what do I listen to? What do I watch? Who do I check out? You know, but um, I'm almost thinking now that you're mentioning that I'm almost thinking like, I need to be intentional about it. I actually, um, I've been motivated for a while to do this. I haven't done it yet, but I've been wanting to, do- to create a podcast where I'm basically talking to my children. Uh, there, and, that, that would be amazing. Like there was that movie years ago about that guy, the 20 life lessons, like he was dying and he did like the 20 life lessons he would want his kids to know. And I think that is like a really cool project. And in my parenting coaching, we have, um, we have to take inventory when we sign up on every life skill that you need to transfer to your kid before they turn 18. And like going through that inventory, you realize like, it's a lot of things, right? Yeah. Like when you die, like what is all the skills you want to have conveyed to your kids or people in your life, you know, like that kind of stuff is super legacy. And I, you know, I'm so inspired to work on that stuff. And when you talk about a coach, like high, high, high performers, which I've come to a point in my life where I'm like, I am not like everyone, like I am want to be a high, high performer. And you have to really embrace that and accept like that is your path. 
but high performers always have a coach. Like there's no athlete that's like the highest performers in the world that like say, Oh, I've gotten to my, my top. I'm, I'm good. I don't need a coach. Like if you want to live the journey, you will continually invest in coaches and you will outgrow coaches. That's been a painful lesson for me. Um, realizing like sometimes it's time to find someone else or another area of your life you want to work on. Maybe it's not just your business. I have a fitness coach. Like you have to continue. This is like a great time of year to reanalyze like what areas of my life do I want to work on? Yeah. I, I have a health coach. I started that in, in August this past year. Um, and we talk every single day. Um, I mean, to the point where sometimes the conversations go a little bit longer than I want. Like I just need a 10, 15 minute check-in. Like we need to like contract it a little bit, but we, we literally talk every day. And there are times like right now when we're recording, this is one of those times where we just finished the summit. The literally the week after the summit, I had an in-person mastermind with my business coach in Arizona. And while I was there, our dog had to be put down and I had to do that over FaceTime and fly back early. Um, and I know you just lost your dog also. So we're, we're in this together. Um, but I came home and I was, and the last thing I'm thinking about is doing the grocery shopping and all of that, which, which I do online. It's not like I go to the store, right? I don't, I've stopped going to the store long ago. I agree. Um, go go into the store. That's a low, and, you know, so I pick time. up my phone and I place my order, but I'm actually at a stage right now where the, the refrigerator's empty. Like literally when we're talking, the refrigerator's empty. And like on my conversation with her today, she was like, okay, you need to text me when you place your grocery order. And if I don't get a text from you, I'm going to harass you tonight to make sure it's done. Because if you want to stay healthy, you have to prep. You have to have the the, the right food ready. Otherwise, you're going to eat whatever is handy, which is the unhealthy food. Um, and I think the accountability piece is really what you're like for me. If I know I have to meet my coach, even though I think I hold myself pretty accountable, I know that I get that extra push when I have to answer to somebody. And it's easy as an entrepreneur to fall into a place where you answer to no one. And I think that's why I keep certain people around me to keep me in check because it's so easy to slip into a place where your employees are not going to hold you accountable because, you know, that's not their role, you know? And I mean, you might get, I have a couple pretty incredible employees that will call me out, but that is not something you often get right off the bat, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that it's hard for people to really understand, you know, unless you've been in it, it's hard to understand what we're talking about, but it's very simple. If you want to grow, you have to intentionally be doing certain things in your business. So the, when, when I work with my elite clients, we create a plan and then we they go on a 90 day sprint. They have projects that they need to complete. And if you're not spending your daily activity on that project that you need to do, and it's small, tiny, bite sized pieces, it's not like, oh, I need to spend four hours doing this. It's by breaking it down intentionally over 90 days. What you're doing is you're creating the possibility to only be doing this for 30 minutes. 45 minutes, 60 minutes in a day, and that's it. And then the rest of the time, you could be focused on your day-to-day -day tasks and everything you need to do. But if you're not intentional about that thing you need to be doing, then all you're doing is the easy stuff, which is serving your clients and, and showing up to for your employees. But if you're not intentional about the things that are going to make you grow, you're just going to stay where you are. When you stay where you are, it's called drifting. It's called treading water, whatever it is. At some point you get exhausted and you sink and you drown, right? Like that you have to be, you have to have forward momentum in your business. 
not all the time. There are there are times to stop, rest, reap the rewards, you know, you know, and enjoy the moment. But you also cannot stay there for very long because if you do, then you get into this this you know this this danger zone where you don't have the forward momentum. It's kind of like think about an airplane, right? If an airplane is flying, if it stops moving, it's going to fall out of the sky, right? It's not it, it's not like oh, I'm just you know, it needs that thrust, it needs that push to keep going to have the the lift to stay where it is. Your business is the same thing, and you you have to be spending that time daily or weekly or whatever it is doing those things that are going to move the needle in your business. You know, it's interesting because Marco Brown, who was one of our speakers at the Law Firm Growth Summit, another law firm owner who I really look up to, he's been a previous podcast guest. Um, one of the things that he shared in a, a roundtable um, discussion that we had, I, I don't remember if you were on his or on the other one, um, but he said that he spends like, I think it was either 50% or 80% of his time, I forget the percentage, on selling. On like selling. Selling and selling activities, which is could be networking. It could be like when he's going, like I know you're you're an event junkie, right? Um, you've been going to like every freaking lawyer event. I'm just building my brand, there, right? You know? I'm building he's, my he's, brand. He's the same thing. He goes out there like I, you know, I went to Max Lawcon and I met him in person, and um, but he goes to all these events and it's the same thing. Like he he's building his brand, he's out there connecting with other attorneys. If somebody in any part of the country who knows Marco Brown has has somebody they know who needs a divorce attorney in Utah, they're sending them to Marco Brown because you know who he is. If there's anybody who's listening to this podcast who has been at the Law Firm Growth Summit or where any of the places that you have been has connected with you, knows somebody who has a personal injury case in the Atlanta area, they're yeah. sending them to you. And that's... Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, one of my mentors says everything in life is a sale, actually. Like you have to sell yourself to your employees. You have to sell yourself to get a spouse. You have to sell yourself like everything is a sale. Can you influence people to, you know, get on your mission? Um, but I do think like it could be confused with the idea. Like I do think one of the greatest freedoms in my business was created once I let go of doing all the actual consultations and sales for the law firm. Like I see that as an area where I see a lot of people get stuck is if you're doing every single consultation, every single sale that will become a hinge point and will cap your growth. Um, yeah. And I, I want to make sure that I'm, that your, that our audience is clear that when I say selling activities, I am not referring to the actual consult, the actual time that you're sitting <laughs> with somebody selling. There is at the early stages of your journey, that is one of the things that you should hold on to the longest. In other words, it, don't go and hire a salesperson on day one, get to really know your clients, get to know the messaging, get to know what, what it is that it takes to, to bring a client on. But at some point you actually need to, you need to delegate that out. Um, and it, talking about sharing your personal story. So I was resistant to bringing on a sales team for my coaching program until last year we went, we got hospitalized We we were pregnant with Derek and Jamie had placenta previa. And she had some bleeds and we ended up going to the hospital. And at 29 weeks, they said, guess what? You're checking into this hotel. You ain't checking out till this baby's born. Um, and being in the hospital every single day meant I can't, I really can't have sales calls. No. And that forced me 
to bring on a sales team and have and educate them on how to sell and and really ramp up. I mean, very quickly within four weeks, they were they were in and they were making sales. Um, and it has completely changed. Uh, I just see so business. many business owners stuck with the chains of doing all the sales. I think that's something that people get stuck on. And um, you know, I can't tell you how liberating it is to be able to go on a vacation and know the sales don't stop, to be able to go to a conference and I don't have to be interrupted by having to do a sale. Um, and even if you're the best person to do sales in your office, you're still not going to be the best person if you're sick or if you're on vacation or, you know, you're otherwise engaged and you don't want the future, which is the lifeblood of your business to be contingent on your availability as the only salesperson. <laughs> It's, uh -huh. it's the same argument that we make with every position, right? Like, oh, I need a receptionist. Well, guess what? You still need an answering service because what if the receptionist is sick? What if the receptionist is, is on another call? What if the receptionist went out to lunch? What if, what if it's after hours, right? There's so many scenarios where your phone won't get answered if the receptionist is X, fill in the blank, yes. right? So the fact that you hired a receptionist doesn't negate needing an answering service. And, the, you know, so it's the same thing with, with every position in your firm. As a matter of fact, in our company, we have uh, a, a role chart where there's a backup for every role. So every, every single position, every single thing, there's somebody who fills in when somebody else is unavailable. It happened this morning, right? Um, one of my team members called in sick. She's the person who kicks off these podcasts. And there's somebody else who stepped into that role it needs tweaking, but there's somebody else who stepped into that role and took it over and is doing it. She's also the person who does our social posts. And that was delegated out to another team member who's now doing our social posts for the day. So um, that is that all happens. Somebody called called in sick in the morning by not nine o'clock. We knew by nine thirty, all of her tasks for the day have been delegated to somebody else. And you really need that in in your firm. And if you're thinking, oh, it's just me, myself and I. That's the biggest argument why you need somebody else in there. Um, but as your team grows, your ability to take more and more off of your plate gives you more freedom to spend your time where you want to spend it and where it's most efficient. And I think that, you know, um, the faster, I mean, this is a whole nother conversation we can get into, but the faster that you realize that you are not the attorney and you're the you're business owner, the um, it is the easier it is. You can now in, in the state of Arizona, a non-attorney can now start a law firm, right? Can own a law firm. And this has allowed me to use this example where if I, who is not an, I'm not an attorney, people tend to think I am, but I'm not an attorney, right? Like that's the part of my, my messaging to you is I am a business professional. Like I understand business and that's why I'm really good at what I do, but I'm not an attorney. So if I were to go and start a law firm, who is the first person I would hire? I wouldn't hire a VA from Get Staffed Up. I wouldn't hire a paralegal. I would hire an attorney because I cannot practice law, right? So when you start a law firm, you're already at a disadvantage to somebody else who's not an attorney starting a law firm because you already have it wrong when you, you open your doors. You think you're the service. I mean, that's the reality is like the reason you usually have a business is so that you are not the product. Like, I think that comes from my entrepreneurial background is like, you don't want to make yourself the product. Like if you're a true entrepreneur and a true business owner, and I always say you are a true business owner the day you open a business, like make no mistakes. Even if you think you're a lawyer, like the day you go file and say, I own this business, you have now become a business owner and you need to understand what that really requires. And 
it's not a great business model to make yourself the product, like doing all aspects because it's unsustainable in the long run because there are certain responsibilities as the owner, you really can't delegate. You have to put your time and energy into. Um, and I actually think like, you know, being the visionary, being that entrepreneur is like the area that I try to spend most of my time now for the business. And somebody has got to be creating the vision and, and, you know, working with the leadership team and developing their leadership skills. And, you know, there's a lot that goes into being the owner. If you want to do it on a really high level way, Um, finding opportunities for the company, um, putting yourself out there as a brand and, that takes a lot of energy. And I think people kind of like discredit how much work it goes into really being a high level owner. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that, you know, if you think about like, what is the, the biggest job of the law firm owner from inception all the way through to whatever step stage you want to bring it to, because not everybody wants to build a, you know, uh, a, a, a law firm that's going to compete at the, at the highest level. Um, there's a lot of people who are very happy at various levels along the way. There are some people who are happy acting as a solo. And if that's, you know, if that's you, you're not going to relate to this conversation because you're only need to bring on support staff for you. You don't need to bring on another attorney, but if your, uh, if your vision is to create something bigger than you and to have attorneys working for you, um, then definitely you need to get really, really clear on what is your superpower? Like what is your skill that you that you bring to the table and usually it's that visionary role usually it's that person who's thinking of all the ideas who has a vision of what it's going to look like has a and and now you have to have a plan to get there and then your job is to find all of the people who are going to implement that for you and yeah. not to be the one doing the implementation because that detracts and takes away from your visionary moment. And it's very hard to, to imagine when you're in the early stages because you are doing everything um, out of necessity, not out of desire. Um, and and it's really a game of, of getting out of that role as quickly and as fast as possible that your financial position will allow. And it really depends on how much capital you got. So how, how well is your firm doing? And therefore how quickly can you, can you get out of that? I know you say a lot like, Oh, well, maybe some people don't want a larger firm. I just want to share my experience. Like I've always wanted a big firm, but I didn't know what that entailed to like, you know, getting closer. I have a lot of friends that own firms with 300 people, 100 people. I have colleagues and mentors that have $50 million law firms. I mean, very large law firms, which makes my law firm feel very small. And I think that's important to, to surround yourself with people that still make you feel like, wow, I have a long way to go. But personally on my journey, my day-to-day life is so much more enjoyable where I am now than where I was five years ago. I mean, there there was periods of the law firm where it was just an absolute grind. Um, there are different challenges, but like I get to do more of what I love to do and less of what I hate to do. Like when you're small, you have to do a lot of things you really don't like to do. They're not in your strengths, but they have to get done. Um, and you have to kind of do them temporarily until you can build a bridge to get out of them. Um, my day-to-day life is more focused on the things that um, really inspire me and light me up. And the other thing that I wish just people could step in and experience it for themselves just for a moment 
the kind of professionals that you get to work with when you build a larger organization is so much more inspiring. Um, I feel so grateful as to the people that I've attracted to my company, like truly people that are smarter than me in so many different ways, people that have greater, greater ideas than I have in, in certain things, like people that you would be just so proud to come and represent your brand. Like you don't get to have the privilege of having those people until you build a bigger organization. Like that's just the reality. And I think that's something that's not talked about. I can't wait to double the size of my firm because then I can imagine all the even more incredible people that I get to have the chance to work with. And like the bigger your company gets, you get to have more like leaders um, because then you have departments and they need to be led by different people. And when you're smaller, you have to have like one person leading like the whole thing. And it's, it's harder for those people to really be amazing when they're managing so many different areas. Like as you get bigger, you get more specialized and people can become even more of an expert in their area and they can professionally develop. And so part of like my love of growing this law firm has also been like the kind of company we've been able to build and the kind of people that I get to share my life with on a day-to-day basis and like grow with. Yeah. I I love that you share that because, um, at the core of the law firm growth formula that we use in our business to help law firm owners see the journey and understand what they're after, right at the core of it is the three things that, that a law firm owner wants. And it's more time, more money. And the third one is the thing that you're talking about that a lot of people don't even realize that they want until you solve the time and money problem. And that's more impact. And whether it's impact to your clients or impact like you're talking about within the team that you're building, because that's another level of impact that's not talked about a lot, where the more people that I employ, the more lives I'm changing, the more the more families I'm feeding, the more people I'm allowing to step into their growth. And if I am a good leader, then it's more people that I'm saving from maybe somebody who's not such a nice leader or not such a good leader and might not take them on the right journey. So when I get really good at what I do, and this speaks to your coaching also, like, why do I need coaching now? Because I want to develop people into the best version of themselves. It's not just about me anymore. So now I'm now I'm going to a mentor who's going to help me mentor, become the best mentor possible for my people. Um, and, and I know that we, we need to wrap it up. Um, but the this has been such a great conversation. And I really think that um, you're alluding to something that I'm experiencing with one of my coaching clients right now. This person was adamant when she came on board that she wants to be a solo. And yeah, like I- that she is building the most efficient brand for her to be the attorney and to have the right supports in place and the right, I mean, she's a subscription model business. So she has the business plan that will put her in, you know, exactly where she wants to be. But as we work together, her, she has stepped into that and started to feel the possibility of that. And all of a sudden realized that there's a possibility for more. Yeah. I just invite people to really be honest with yourself about what you're trying to build and don't let limiting beliefs that you may have absorbed from other people that aren't even your own beliefs make you think 
oh, I only want this small thing because you, you honestly have no idea what the other option even looks like. Like the only way I really started to get a vibe, like for what it really could be. Cause I always believe like there's a level you can see to like right now I can see to a certain dollar threshold and a certain employee threshold, but like beyond that, it's very like, it's very elusive to me, but if you start spending time with people who are 10 steps ahead of you or five steps ahead of you, like it's a different thing when you see the decisions they get to make and the opportunities that flow to them and, you know, don't limit yourself until you're really sure what you're saying no to. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, but I think that sometimes people have to grow into that vision, right? Like it's hard it's hard to imagine something that's so far away, far removed from where you are. So sometimes you have to get a certain level of success in your current environment to be able to see the future. It's kind of like some if you're an employee and you're getting paid $50,000 a year, thinking about a $100,000 salary is like, whoa, if I could get to the six figures, I'd be that would be amazing. But people are out there getting 200, $300,000, $400,000 salaries. Like, why aren't you thinking about that? Because it's so far removed. It's so hard to imagine that, that you first need to achieve the first six figures. And then you're like, okay, I can actually do more than that. So when you're, when you're a law firm owner and you're first starting out, it could be that solo is all you can imagine. And that's okay for you to live there for a while. But when you start to achieve a level of success and you start to have your mind opened up to greater possibilities, it is more than likely that you will st- that you will realize that there's more there's more vision that you want that you just haven't you haven't unlocked yet you haven't seen yeah. it yet i know yeah. this for myself like i my vision is is pretty big and i and i'm sure that when as i get closer to achieving it i'm going to realize how small it really was and how much more i can really do um so i you know i i think that we all we all have this and we all grow into it and i know that you hang out with you know billion plus dollar law firm owners. My goal is to try to be the smallest person in the room. That's my absolute goal. And it's hard because sometimes you have to find new rooms when you yeah. grow. But yeah. um, I, if I'm not like, I want to be around people that like make me feel like, oh my gosh, I have so far to go because I think it keeps your ego in check. But also like, man, they're doing things at such a higher level. <laughs> Like they have different problems. Um, and a lot of them have been so willing to help me skip over some of the mistakes they've made. Um, and oh man, like it gives me confidence. Like I'm like, oh, they could do it. I could do it, you know? So yeah, I, I purposely try to put myself in, in places that, I'm pretty small. And so it's funny when people will be like, Oh, you're so successful. I'm like, man, if you only knew, <laughs> you only knew how I define success, right? <laughs> Cause successful is completely, completely, uh, a, a, uh, a, 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 excuse me, a definition that you get to define there. You know, yeah. don't, you can't look that up in the dictionary. I mean, you could, but the dictionary won't define success for you. But you my measure of success is that I am moving forward and making progress every year. And like, I look at every year at the end of the year where I was a year ago. And do I feel like I am substantially further like on my journey and have I grown and have I leapt at every opportunity that came my way that year? And did I, fix some of the mistakes I made. Like it's a whole analysis of like 
I don't care what other people are doing in a sense. When I look at my own success, I look at like where I was a year ago and do I feel like I've progressed and you have to hold yourself only to your, like your past. You cannot compare. I had a mentor that would say like, you cannot compare your leg of the journey with someone who's on like, like 30 miles down the road of you, their leg of the journey. Like you're only comparing to yourself. And we all go through this. Like even me as a, as a business coach, I, you know, there's other people on, on the, on the journey that I'm on that are further ahead of me. And, you know, it's very easy to get stuck in that comparisonitis and, you know, thinking about, you know, Hey, how, how are they, how come they're able to do this? And I'm not, you know, and, and, and the reality is, is that you got to You got to go through the growing pains that they went through, right? Like there are a lot of things we covered in this podcast you're not going to skip those, but you're going to short circuit them, right? Like you're going to go through them faster when you have the right help, but you still have to go through the phases. You still have to go through the growth journey of hiring more people, of getting more clients, of you know, building your brand, building your name. It's just that there is a faster way to do that than just going it alone, going it, you know, and just letting it happen slowly but surely as you go. All right. And- we are at the end of our time. Jennifer, we can talk for hours. hours. I can see that already. See? Like we like there, we can just do an entire day podcast and we won't run out of things <laughs> to cover. So we'll have to have you back for another episode. You and I have to connect in, in person at some point somewhere. Um, yes. But I really love this conversation and I love what uh, some of the things you shared. I mean, some of it has even started to make me question some of the things that I say that I don't even realize I'm saying it, but as you've, you've highlighted it for me, like giving people permission to stay a solo, right? Like I do that because I want to allow everybody to be on their own journey. But at the same time, am I, am I actually setting them up for a smaller vision because I'm saying that like, I'm that's something that I need to now go and ponder and think about because you've highlighted that for me. So I really appreciate um, the conversation for my own growth. Um, and I'm sure that our listeners, if, you know, if you're listening to this, you, you certainly got something out of it. When we finish a podcast episode, we leave it with two very s- simple things. First, how can people connect with you, find out more about you? And the second is, what is the number one piece of advice that you would like to leave imparting, imparting wisdom or whatever with our listeners as we close out the show? So if you want to connect with me, my email is jennifer at atlinjurylawgroup.com. Um, the website, the ATL Injury Law Group. You can find me. I'm on all the social media platforms. Um, you know, Atlanta and also Jen Gore Lawyer. Um, my piece of advice would be just, um, you know, I'm a woman, right? And if you're somebody out there, there's something unique about you, whatever is unique about you is your power. And don't let anyone tell you that you have to fit in any box. Um, you are like completely who you need to be and you just need to step in and own it and, believe that you belong wherever you go. That's my main lesson. I try to tell everyone, you know, it's, it's the thing I still am working on every day. I think all of us are, but your uniqueness is your power. Yeah. One of the things that you shared with me when we first talked that really impressed me is that you, you, you felt like um, it was your, it was your job to, to step into rooms where you felt like you didn't belong. Oh, and, yeah. 
and I, you know, I, I really, I, I really like that message. And, and I, you know, I think it goes hand in hand with really owning who you are and knowing who you are. Um, don't let other people tell you who you are or where you belong. You're in charge of your journey. You get to decide. And, and believe that you belong there. Like, that's the thing. When you show up to the table with people that have a hundred million dollar firm and you say, well, I don't know why you're doing this. Like, I'm truly saying that because I'm curious and I believe I belong to ask that question. You, like, people absorb your energy. If you believe you belong places, then they believe you belong there. Yeah, I love it. Awesome. Jennifer, thank you so much for your time. I know we went over, tell your videographer, I said, I'm sorry. Um, and uh, I really, conversation, so I'm always here for it. There was, there was no, there's really no place to end it. Like it just, it, it all flowed. And I, I just, you know, we, whatever we, our listeners will have to in, extend their run or whatever, or their drive, whatever they're doing, listening to this episode. Um, but if you enjoyed this episode and you are not subscribed to the podcast, you, you know, you got more of these coming. So make sure you hit the subscribe button so that you get notified when a new episode comes out. We release a new interview every Thursday. We also pepper in solo interviews of, uh, from me. I used to do them regularly um, every week. Uh, I've taken a step back from that. We're probably around the same time that we got hospitalized with Derek. And I mentioned it earlier. Um, I haven't really got back to doing those. I'm not sure if I'm going to, because we're going to be starting a YouTube channel, maybe doing a live show. So there's other commitments happening that are going to be in place of that. But we will definitely still have a podcast episode for you every single week with these amazing guests. And there's so much to learn from other people. And I'm really excited to bring them and highlight them here. And if you have not yet left us a rating and review, we would love it if you did that by opening up the podcast player and leaving that rating and review. It's so easy to do. Uh, just click the stars, write a review, tell us what's amazing about the show and tell others. Same way that you need reviews on Google and, and Yelp and things like that like for your clients to leave so that other people know to listen to to go and and check you out we need those for people to say okay i'm going to listen to this podcast so thank you so much for being here our dear listener and thank you jennifer for your time and we will catch you next week take care that's it for this week's episode of profit with law if you have enjoyed the show please consider sharing it with at least one person imagine how many lives we can change if we each shared this episode Another way to share the episode is on social media. We appreciate your support and look forward to you joining us again next week.